Treating pain is neither an absolute science nor risk-free. How can doctors safely prescribe opioids and what are the risks of addiction? You're listening to ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I'm your host, Dr. Mary Lushaz, and joining me from Boston today is Dr. Daniel Alford, who is Associate Professor of Medicine at Boston University School of Medicine and Director of the Chief Resident Immersion Training in Addiction Medicine at the Boston Medical Center. We're discussing the use of opioids for chronic pain and the risks of addiction. Welcome, Dr. Alford. Thank you. Dr. Alford, let's talk about what opioid analgesics actually are. They're actually commonly prescribed medications. I think they were more commonly prescribed for acute pain, and that is people who come in after an injury. We're really talking about morphine, codeine, and then some of the medications that are synthesized from those, like oxycodone, hydrocodone or Vicodin, and and medications like that. I think medications of the opioid variety that were being used for acute pain started to also be used for chronic pain, namely pain that was a result of cancer. And there's a fair amount of literature supporting the use of opioids chronically for cancer pain. But I think some of the problems have arisen lately, and that is the use of these medications chronically or over time for chronic pain that's of non-cancer origin, chronic low back pain, nerve pain, or neuropathic pain secondary to diabetes, and pain syndromes like that. And I think there's been a lot of interest and research lately of these medications that not only are they great analgesics, but they carry a risk, and the risk is of addiction. We don't really know exactly the perfect balance between using them to treat chronic pain and trying to minimize the amount of addiction as a result. How do you actually define chronic pain in a patient? What's the major hallmark? Chronic pain is defined in the literature. In some sources, they talk about at least three months and others at least six months. So usually it's a chronic daily pain complaint that lasts at least three months. I think beyond that is something we call chronic pain syndrome, and that is that Beyond the pain complaint, there's a level of dysfunction, unable to work, and unable to perform activities that were performed prior to the pain starting. Talked about the history of these drugs being used for chronic pain initially in cancer patients. What are the new drug user patterns in those who abuse them? That's another difficult question, and that is, you know, when is a patient who's coming to you with chronic pain on these medications, on opioids, asking for more... When are they drug-seeking or addicted to these medications versus when are they pain-relief-seeking? And that is that their pain just isn't relieved and they're requiring more medications. And I think from a physician's standpoint, it's often hard to know the difference. And I call it the primary care advantage, and that is that as a primary care doctor, you're able to develop a relationship over time, and so you can monitor somebody as opposed to someone who works in the emergency room or someone who works in an urgent care setting where you see the patient once and it's hard to know whether they're drug-seeking or they're just pain relief-seeking. But as a primary care physician, over time, I'll start to see patterns that will worry me. What do I mean by that? Patients who are running out of their medications early, patients who you know are acting what's called aberrantly, and that is they lost their prescription or they're just acting intoxicated when you see them. And there are some monitoring strategies beyond just looking for these behavior changes. We pretty much check urine drug tests on every one of our patients that 
is prescribed opioids for chronic pain, looking for, one, the presence of the opioid that we're prescribing to make sure that it is being ingested, but also that there aren't other drugs that could be abused concurrently, like cocaine or other stimulants or other sedatives like benzodiazepines, such as Valium or Klonopin. And so I think there are monitoring strategies. And I think the other thing that is useful to do is to monitor pill count. And so when patients come in for their visits, they should bring in their pill bottle and you should count them to make sure that the patient is taking it as prescribed. None of these strategies will diagnose addiction 100% of the time, but at least it's an effort on the physician's part to try to keep track of the patient, realizing that there is the risk of addiction with these medications. And if you're not monitoring and you're not paying attention, you'll lose sight of the patient who does become addicted. How do you stop the problem of doctor shopping, if at all? There are strategies out there, and I think there are prescription monitoring programs that a lot of states are now using, and that is that when a new patient comes to you, you're able to check their prescription history by logging in using your special ID to see, you know, where a patient has been prior. I think also pharmacists are getting much more comfortable talking to physicians and calling up prescribers and saying, you know, this patient has gotten multiple prescriptions from multiple different doctors. And, you know, sometimes that's doctor shopping and it's a sign of addiction and a sign of a patient losing control. Other times it's just a sign that your practice, like mine, has 26 other doctors and when I'm not in clinic, another doctor will okay the prescription that I would have written if I was there. And so, but I think it's actually nice to have this open dialogue now with pharmacists because I think they see another piece of you know, the patient profile that we don't necessarily have access to. How do you define dependence versus addiction? This is one of the first things that we cover when training doctors about this issue, and that is the difference between physical dependence and addiction. And that is when a patient takes opioids for any length of time, they become physically dependent. And that's just a biological property of the medication. And there are lots of medications that we prescribe that cause physical dependence. And physical dependence is when a patient stops taking the medication, they go through some type of withdrawal. And with opioids, the withdrawal is nausea, vomiting, diarrhea, and, and you know, it's as if they had a viral syndrome. And that's physical dependence. And that's not addiction because, again, it's just a biological property. Addiction, on the other hand, though, is a behavioral maladaptation to the opioid, and that is they're no longer taking it for the purpose of what you prescribed it for, but they're now feeding an addiction. The way it presents is kind of a loss of control, compulsive use, and and really continued use of the medication despite harm. And, you know, what happens, sometimes patients will get into car crashes or They're falling asleep in the middle of the day because they have too much medication on board, yet they still want more. And there's this kind of drug craving or hunger that goes on. And that's, you know, the behavioral aspects of addiction as opposed to the physical dependence that patients get from that. It's a little confusing because the dsm 4 which is the textbook that describes various psychiatric diagnoses, describes opioid dependence. And they don't use the word addiction. They talked about opioid dependence. And the word dependence gets confused with physical dependence. But opioid dependence by this textbook includes both the biological properties that I described to you, but also the behavioral pieces. Again, that's loss of control and compulsive use. And so it gets a little confusing, 
for the practitioner, but I think it's important for people to realize that physical dependence does not equal addiction. You've talked about the four C's of addiction. Can you just run through those? Sure. So loss of control, compulsive use, continued use despite harm, and craving or drug hunger that patients describe. Do we know the likely percentage of patients who will develop an addiction or a dependence to opioid medication when they're taking it for chronic pain? That's a great question, and I could reword it, and that is when a patient comes to you with chronic pain and you give them an opioid for that chronic pain, what's the likelihood that they're going to develop an addiction? And unfortunately, we don't really know that number. But when you look at population studies of patients who are getting chronic opioids for chronic pain, the rates are about 3 to 19% in the literature. And what's interesting is that that's pretty much the same percent of the U.S. population that has addiction to other substances, whether it be alcohol or other drugs. And so it's not surprising that the risk factors for developing addiction to an opioid analgesic for pain are the same risk factors for developing addiction to alcohol, cocaine, or any other drug of abuse. And that really is prior history of addiction or lifetime history of addiction disorder or a family history of substance abuse or a history of legal problems or other social problems. And so I think, you know, you can look at the risk of anyone who's coming to you asking for opioids for chronic pain as the same risk of any addiction to any substance that they might get exposed to. Now, the way I use that in clinical practice is that I tell the patient that they're at higher risk. It doesn't mean it's an absolute contraindication and that I wouldn't try to treat their chronic pain with opioids if I thought it was indicated, but just that I would forewarn the patient that they're at higher risk for developing a problem and that I'm going to be monitoring them closely so that if they develop another problem, namely addiction, that I'm going to you know, help them work through it. How significant is the family history in evaluating the patient who is most likely to become dependent on these drugs? It's about a fourfold risk than someone who doesn't have a family history. And what's this biologically attributed to? Is there a genetic marker? or There probably isn't one gene that's responsible for this, but multiple genes, and it's probably more of a genetic predisposition, and that is you might be predisposed to developing an addiction to any substance of abuse, but if you don't get exposed to it, that is, you don't have the environmental piece, then you'll never express that genetic predisposition. Multifactorially, I think the genetic predisposition should be there, but also the environmental exposure needs to be there as well. How's the best way to talk to patients about stopping their opioid tablets for chronic pain? How do you go about that? The first thing you need to do is monitor people over time, not only in terms of, you know, are they losing control and all of the things we look for for addiction, but are the opioids actually helping them? And we look for pain relief and we look for improvement in function. And if they're not getting benefit, clinical benefit over time, regardless of whether or not they've developed signs of addiction, then it's really time to make a change. And so I, I think it's important to give the patient feedback, and that is, over the last few months, I haven't noticed any improvement in your pain symptoms or in your ability to function. Therefore, I don't think this is a good medication for your problem. We'll try something else. Or if you think the person actually has developed addiction, again, I think it's important to give them feedback, and that is by saying, you know, you've lost your prescription, You've come early, even though you know, I've told you that you can't run out early. You need to take them as prescribed. And if your pain is worse, you need to let us know so that we can make adjustments. 
you haven't complied with your pill count or your urine drug screen showed cocaine or what have you, but giving the patient feedback, and so there is some rationale for why you say, I think you have a new problem, and that is addiction. And we may agree to disagree on this point, but as your physician, I think it's time that we need to make some changes. And one change will be to stop giving you this medication that I think you're addicted to, but also, importantly, is to offer them addiction treatment, offer them a referral to addiction treatment, and hopefully you have that available to you in your clinical practice. Well, thanks very much, Dr. Alford, for being our guest today. We've been discussing the risks of prescribing opioids to patients. I'm Dr. Mary Lushars. You've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, XM160, the channel for medical professionals. To listen to our on-demand library, visit us at reachmd.com, register with promo code radio, and receive six months free streaming for your home or office. Thanks for listening.